Turn in your uh, Bible study at Galatians chapter 6 this morning. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 is where we'll be, 7 through 10. This is what God's word says to us. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I thank God for his word. Why why did you come to church today? And I'm not just repeating my communion question, by the way. (laughs) Same question I asked. But, But as we said before, people come to church for all kinds of different reasons. They are in search of friendship or inspiration or life advice or maybe they come out of guilt or in the hope that they can get back something that they've lost in their life or get their life back on track. We start with the gospel this morning because it is the foundation of everything we do. That's why we focus on that at the table. But it is not good enough for us to say Jesus saves and leave it at that. It means something in everyday life if Jesus has saved you. So why are you here today? Because if if it was only about Jesus saves, then you only need that once. T- today, I already said this, is designated as fall kickoff. We kick off all the fall ministries. But we want to remember that the gospel is the foundation of all of those ministries, and that never changes. Uh, maybe you're here because it's fall. Maybe you're here because... Um, life got a little off track, routine got a little off track, you found yourself away from church more often than you would have liked to be over the summer, and it's fall is the right time to get a fresh start. Get back into that routine. But maybe you're a little bit nervous. You're nervous because uh, with the fall routines comes the busyness of schedule. I had all that freedom during the summer. I went anywhere I want, I did anything I wanted, and now we're back on schedule, and schedule is, means busyness. The students, you know that, you went back to school, you got all these syllabuses, and they told you all the, the assignments and the tests, and you wrote it all in your day planner. They don't even know what a day planner is. <laughs> wrote it all in your phone. Parents, you... Uh, you got that call from the Pee Wee soccer coach last week. We have practice tonight in 30 minutes. Come out. We need you there. And by the way, we have practice every night this week in four games. And your schedule just starts filling up and your calendar gets so bulky and full. And you're nervous 
in coming back to church, especially on a day like today, where we're going to talk about all of these ministry opportunities that we're just further going to complicate and confuse and burden down your schedule. Look, we've got lots of ministries, and sometimes those ministries change, but the purposes behind them never do. We always want to be pointing back to the gospel and how it brings about in our life a vibrant spiritual connection to Christ. That's what we're looking for. So here we are, kickoff weekend, and the question is, what does the Holy Spirit want to say to Community Bible Church today? And normally, what that means is we open our Bibles, as we will do today, and we work our way through a book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, word by word. And next week, we're going to start a series in Ephesians, and I'm, I've been looking forward to it for a long time. I hope that you'll come back and be a part of that. But today, I, I, I have really been impressed by the Lord, and, and for some time, God has been bringing this passage to my mind for this day. Uh, this passage from Galatians. So that's what we're going to look at this week. And if I could summarize what Paul is saying in this particular passage, but also throughout the whole book, I would put it this way. Christians, you should do good, but you shouldn't always be trying to do better. Would that sound blasphemous? That's the title of my sermon this morning. So let's see if I can tell you uh, and help you agree with me that that statement is, is true, okay? Let's see if we can unpack what that means from this passage. And I'm going to remind you of the context of Galatians just a little bit. Even though Jesus had fulfilled the law at the cross and in his life, the Galatians were wrongly trying to please God through continuing to follow and meet the law's requirements. They were trying to do all the things that they thought would make God happy. So despite Jesus' death and resurrection, which covered sin and offered new life and made a way for people to be in right relationship with God, despite the fact that nothing was required from individual people to take advantage of the free gift of eternal life, the Galatians were still trying to earn righteous standing before God. Or, or at least... At the very least, they were trying to earn God's continued favor and blessing in their lives. And because their efforts were opposed to the gospel of grace, Paul, in the very beginning of the book, warned them that they were in danger of turning to a different gospel. It's a very serious charge, chapter 1, verse 6. They were in danger of turning to a gospel of works. And in this letter to the Galatians, we learned that, that even Peter got caught up in the foolishness of the Galatians. And so, so what Paul does is he brings people back to the gospel. He reiterates the truth that salvation is a work of God alone. That's the argument that Paul is making to the Galatians. And, and in chapter 3, verse 11, there's this soaring crescendo of the entire book. Chapter 3, verse 11, the righteous shall live by faith. Instead of working harder and doing better to find favor with God, Paul teaches the Galatians that we are sons and daughters of God, heirs with our brother Jesus. That's what chapter 4 is about. That we are free because Christ makes us free. That's what chapter 5 is about. And as you, as you read through the letter, you can almost feel the weight 
this burden of duty and this heaviness being lifted from the people because they're hopeless to please God through their own efforts. Paul wants them to stop trying to do what Jesus has already done. It is finished. This is the grace of the gospel of Jesus. And now in correcting the Galatians' error, Paul was aware of one thing, that they were on one extreme, trying to do all the things themselves, and they could quickly swing all the way to the other extreme. In escaping this works-based salvation, they might, they just might, throw away all the responsibility for holy living. This is how Paul answers the same question to the Romans. He says, he asks these rhetorical questions. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Forgiveness is so great, why don't we just keep sinning so that we get more forgiveness? Right? He says to the Galatians. He's pointing out the absurdity of the other extreme. And he answers his own question emphatically, by no means, may it never be. That's the context of this passage this morning. And then in chapter 6, Paul's teaching that Christians are people who bear one another's burdens. That's what it means to be a Christian. We, we bear one another's burdens. If a brother or sister is in sin, you walk with them and you seek to restore them. That's what he says in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 6. When an elder gives his life to teaching you the word, you bear the financial responsibility with him. Verse 6. And then we come to our passage this morning. And he gives people this universal law of stewardship. Are you ready? Verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived, Paul says. God is not mocked. Verse 7. God is not mocked in that God is the one who put together all of the universe. He created all the laws that govern the universe. Like, for instance, you can't jump off a building and hope to fly even if you're wearing a Superman cape, right? It's a law of the universe. Gravity exists. It's established by God who built that into his good order of the universe. And here, Paul describes another one of those universal laws. He says, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. When a gardener plants tomatoes, she expects that the crop will come and it will be tomatoes. You got it. Whatever one sows, she will also reap. Only Paul is speaking of a spiritual planting, a spiritual investment. How we invest our lives and our resources will yield results in keeping with our stewardship. In verse 8, he starts to unpack this truth. He states it uh, uh, negatively and then he states it positively. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. And it's easy for us to point out all the things that we shouldn't do, all those fleshly habits that we would all agree on and that would, we would easily identify as negative, adultery and vanity and blatant dishonesty. But we can sow to the flesh in much more subtle and much more socially acceptable ways as well. Maybe you spend every spare minute advancing your career to the neglect of your family. You answer every phone call, every text, every email, at every time, 
during every day. And in doing so, um, you're obviously ignoring other opportunities and responsibilities. You spend every moment, every waking moment, pursuing financial stability. You seek validation through your success at work instead of through Christ. You shouldn't be surprised if that's you when your relationship with the Lord, when your relationship with your spouse and your kids suffers because what you sow is what you're reaping. Uh, that, that's true of misplaced priorities, right? We know that. We've got to get our priorities in order. But it's also true, by the way, of good things. Let, let's say you, in an attempt to give your kids and your family the life that you desire for them, you devote yourself to all the things that are their interests, youth sports and camping, academic achievement. What you sow, you will also reap. They may get into a good college. They may get a scholarship. You may have the closest, most tight-knit family known to man, but it might come at the cost of your children's faith. Watch for misplaced priorities. And be careful of the subtle temptation to make a good thing the ultimate thing. Now, by contrast, Paul continues in verse 8. He says this. He says, For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Look at what he's not saying right here. He's not saying that you can earn your way to eternal life. That's exactly what he's been arguing against in this entire letter. He is saying, though, that spiritual people do spiritual things. And fleshly people do fleshly things. Spiritual people have a goal of eternal life. They have a goal of eternal rewards in their view, and so they invest their resources accordingly. Um, everywhere I turn these days, I see advertisements about investing for retirement. Get an early start. Know your finish line. Let the end goal determine your current priorities. It's almost like the marketers know me. It's almost like they know that my next birthday will have a nice, big, fat, round number. <laughs> it is a universal law of stewardship that what a person sows, they will reap. Now, I may have missed investment opportunities in my 20s and my 30s, and they will never come back around. That makes these moments now more real and more urgent financially, spiritually. There, there are people who hear this law and they think to themselves, it's up to me. So I will work harder, I will do better, even if that means working my fingers to the bone. You see, they think that they can gain favor with God by trying harder, by doing more. But then in these next verses, Paul has a word of caution for those who think this way. Here's what he encourages. He encourages investment, not exhaustion. See, Paul was aware of the pressure that was going to be created by his word, words. He was aware 
of those who had been trying really, really, really hard, these Galatians, to earn their way into God's good graces. So he warns them, look at it, verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Isn't that a word of comfort to us? Isn't that a, a, a salve for our soul? If you go back to the beginning of chapter 6, I want you to see this real quick. It's in the language. He's been instructing them very, very pointedly. It's like command, 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 command. But right here, there's an, a, a, kind of an abrupt change of tone. Look at verse 1. He instructs them to restore and uses an imperative, a command. You must do this. Then verse 2, bear burdens, imperative. Test your own work, verse 4, imperative. Share with each other, verse 6, imperative. And he's been throwing these instructive darts at them like lasers. But then in verse 9, he says this, let us not grow weary. He changes from an imperative to what's called a subjunctive. And it's a language thing. But essentially what he's saying is, come along with me. I know it's hard, but I'm going to put my arm around you and I'm going to help you get there and make sure you can do it because I'm going in the same direction. Later on, verse 10, look down there. Paul makes, makes it even more clear when he says to the people, let's do good as we have opportunity. Same tone, same subjunctive. Take advantage of the opportunities that come your way. Paul wants you to know this morning, Paul wants me to know this morning that God has good for us to do as believers. He's prepared that good in advance. We'll learn that in Ephesians for us, even before our salvation. But we're not to be guilted into doing more. We're not to be guilted into doing better. Very much reminds me of Jesus' words to those he knew would get burdened down trying to live righteously through their own efforts. Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, uh-oh, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Anyone need rest this morning? Anyone need Jesus to, to bear their burden with them? If we're honest, we all do. Coming back to Paul, he adds this, this promise to his exhortation, and it's a certain promise. He says this in verse 9, In due season, for in due season we will reap. Let us not grow weary in doing good, because in due season we will reap. That little word for there is the fuel that recharges us when we start to get weary. There's purpose to our investment. And at just the right time, in God's time, in due season, according to Paul, we will reap. You see the certainty? We will reap. Now, I, I, get, I get a little nervous with an agricultural analogy because when I plant stuff, it, it, it's not really, like certain that I'm going to reap. 
go in my office right now. I've got a couple house plants in there. I think I might have killed them um, because I gave them too much water. Like, I thought water was supposed to be a good thing, but I've given them too much, apparently, and they're starting to wilt and die. That's what my wife told me. I thought water was a good thing. I don't know. Some of you will be lost the rest of the sermon. You're thinking about how you can go rescue my house plants. <laughs> but that promise that Paul points to is certain. But look, it's also conditional. He says, we will reap if we do not give up. See, as believers, we've got a, a part to play. We cannot give up. Faithfulness. It's our part. Water the plants, an appropriate amount, and they'll grow, and they'll thrive. It's the way of nature. The spiritual way of nature is this. Be faithful. Leave the successes of your spiritual endeavors to the Holy Spirit, and you will reap. That's that's our call as Christians, is to continue doing the good things that God has called us to do faithfully and consistently until he calls us home. That slow, steady investment in this spiritual mutual fund will have us able to see real and significant eternal rewards. That's something we look forward to. In the last phrase, by the way, look at it. Paul lays out this context for these opportunities. Remember, he's been talking about uh, chapter 6, about bearing uh, each other's burdens. Now he says the focus of your spiritual investments is the church. It's the people of God. Certainly, we should show Christian love to everyone in verse 10. But look what he says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. We've been given a spiritual family. And just like our earthly family, that doesn't mean it's always easy. It doesn't mean it's always the easiest thing. But it is the right place for us to practice all the things that God has called us to. And, and here at CBC, uh, the elders have categorized those things, those good things that God has called us to under three headings. And if you've been around here for any length of time, uh, you've heard us talk about them, we hope. And we hope that they're beginning to shape your perspective. They are these, that you are to be adopted in, that you are to be growing up, and that you are to be reaching out. We believe that this is what the Bible has called each and every Christian to. And if you practice these things, you are a faithful, spiritual investor, and that you can expect to reap the benefits, the rewards. And on your chair this morning, uh, we... we we put this handout describing the way uh, that you can invest in those areas. Now, now I want to tell you something. Um, certainly, uh, no one person can be involved in everything on that list. It's too much. If you did, you would certainly be in danger of what Paul warns against in this passage. You would be in danger of growing weary and doing good. But the question for you this morning is, to what and how is God calling you to fulfill his purposes for your life? How are you investing in eternity? 
So I want to take a moment of self-evaluation here. Have you been adopted into the family of God? If not, uh, we talked about it at the communion table, and that was the best time. The second best time is right now. That you would find salvation, that you would find forgiveness, that you would find new life, and that you would recognize that God is calling you to that. What about for those who are, are claim faith in Christ? Are you being adopted into your church family here at CBC, we hope? Are you helping others to get adopted in? And this is, by the way, more, it's, it's about more than being a friendly church. We've been complimented on that over the years, but it's about more than just being friendly. It's about more than filling a social calendar and finding friends with similar interests. You know what it's really about? As we talked about heaven last week, it's about getting that glimpse of eternity with the great congregation of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. We see that just in a glimpse every Sunday morning. Um, and there's lots of ways to do that, right? You can see the, the paper. Community groups are, are, are a great way to do that. Or if you're still deciding if CBC is the place for you, new to CBC class uh, coming up here in a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to dismiss out to a, a luau, aloha. <laughs> we don't just do that, by the way, to, to, to uh, you know, provide free food. We do it because it's an opportunity for you to invest in the lives of others to be adopted in, to help others do the same. So when you're there, I would challenge you, meet someone new. Ask them a significant question. How uh, do you feel like you're adopted in? Have you, have you found a community group? And then if they answer that question or they don't have an answer to that question, I would challenge you, be the one who helps them. Hey, I can help you with that. I can point you to the right person in the right place. It's a value for us. What about the second one? Uh, are you growing up? not asking if you know a lot of Bible facts. I'm, I'm not asking if you have outwardly conformed to religious expectations. I am asking, is your heart continually drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ so that your knowledge of him deepens day by day by day? And are you expressing that maturity by serving others? Some people uh, find themselves in Multiple Bible studies, but no service opportunities. You're robbing others of what God has given you. You need to work that knowledge out in action. Some of you, and you're probably not in the sanctuary this morning, are serving every ministry opportunity that comes up, but you're never allowing the Word of God to fill your tank, fill your heart and your mind. You want to be growing in your knowledge and your understanding so that, so that the Holy Spirit can make you increasingly attentive to his voice and his direction for your life so that you can energize those service opportunities. And you see the opportunities there on the sheet. Get involved in the equipped class. There's lots of ministry opportunities. Parents, I would challenge you, bring your kids every week, first hour, the gospel project, those faithful volunteers over there will partner with you in teaching your kids God's big story of scripture. That is the most crucial foundation for your kids. Find those opportunities 
to be growing up. Not just that you have achieved a certain level of spiritual maturity, and that's good, that's enough, I'm good, but that it is increasing and deepening your love and knowledge of Jesus. Now here's the challenging one, right? Most of us who've been around church for a while, those things are good and right and fun and comfortable. How are you doing with reaching out? Hmm. Do you pray for the people in your circle every day? Are you strategic in your interactions with them? Not talking about handing out a gospel track in the drive-thru. Not talking about going and standing on the street corner at Maiden Southern Oregon and, you know, getting up on your soapbox and preaching the gospel. Nothing wrong with those things. I'm talking about your, your circle. We define that as those, those dozen or so people who uh, have a front seat in your life, who see what you do, who see who you act, who see who you are. There are people in that circle probably that need Jesus. And there are people in that circle who might not hear about Jesus from anyone but you. Um, and again, on your seat this morning, we put a new redesigned circle card. We want you to retire the other one and reevaluate who's in your circle. Who is God calling you to be reaching out to? It's, 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 it's a reminder to pray for them, but more than that, you write down their names, you invite them to church, and you, you strategically look for opportunities to share with them the hope that you have in Jesus and invite them to share that with you. That would be an incredible eternal investment. Now, please, don't hear me just piling on and adding a bunch of good things to your calendar. Work in the Moana. Be involved in three Bible studies. Provide meals for every meal train. Volunteer at your kid's school. Be the all-community carpool coordinator. Be a vacation Bible school counselor. Be a greeter. Watch your neighbor's kids during their work hours. Volunteer at the gospel mission, feeding homeless people. Do both weeks of Johnny and Friends camp. And, and, and. See how heavy that can be? But I want to tell you, you should be praying about the opportunities that will come your way and whether or not God is calling you to take advantage of them because you are uniquely gifted and, uh, and, and called to do those things. I want you to do another self-evaluation. Are you comfortable with one of the priorities? Maybe you're really comfortable. I love talking to people. Adopted in is the greatest thing. No better time than the luau or a community group. But another one of those priorities, you want me to talk to my friends who don't know Jesus about my salvation? Another one of those priorities is intimidating to you or uncomfortable to you. Look, we want a diversified spiritual portfolio. We want to invest in all of these because this is what the Bible calls us to, all of them. And in the meantime, we want to recognize that Time is short, and we want to be investors. We want to sow so that we can reap. So on this day, when we're focused on what is ahead of us and all the things that God has for us this year, let's each of us 
recognize that opportunities that God has placed in our lives and let's be taking advantage of them. Let's build eternal spiritual wealth through kingdom investment. And don't try and do it on your own. Trying hard to be pleasing to God. It's only going to end in exhaustion and frustration. We can't keep striving for better, hoping that God will be happy with us and find us acceptable. He already does through Jesus. And we've got to rest in the good that he has prepared for us and called us to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your son because without him we would have no standing before you. We thank you that you called us into your family. God, that it was by your spirit who convicted us of sin and by the death and resurrection of your son that we have been brought into right relationship with you. we We are humbled at that. We are grateful for that. We come today to respond in worship. And now, Father, I pray that as we leave, God, that we would recognize that we are called to be witnesses of that that you've done in our lives. That we are on mission as we go out. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Mm -hmm.